Welcome back to Product and Health Tech, a community for health tech product leaders by product leaders. I'm Ian Harris, President and CEO of Vinyl. Today's guest is Jack Boren, Managing Director at Epic Ventures out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Epic invests in a range of verticals, including biotech, digital health, enterprise software, and cybersecurity, to name but a few. We recently sat down with Jack to kick off our series of talks with health tech investors. Jack takes us behind the scenes to look at how they perform technology due diligence at product-led companies. He also chats with us about remote patient monitoring, design thinking, customer experience, and so much more. Let's jump right into the conversation. Jack, you know, I think it would be really great if we could start off uh, by maybe having you uh, give us a quick overview of uh, of yourself and maybe just a quick um, rundown of uh, Epic Ventures and sort of the types of investments that uh, that you're you're making and you know sort of a little bit about Epic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll start with Epic and then I'll transition into me and and, and where I fit into the picture. Um, Epic has been around for gosh, I guess 26 years now. Um, we started in the mid 90s. You know, first real venture heyday. And, you know, we started with what at the time was a very novel strategy. And that was, uh, you know, investing like venture capital dollars in anywhere besides major tech hubs like Silicon Valley, you know, uh, Seattle, New York, Boston at the time. Um, and, and we were really excited about Salt Lake. And I say we, I, I wasn't here at the time. I was quite young. Um, but my partners uh, were really excited about Salt Lake and the mountain region. And so we, you know, kind of joined up, joined forces with the, one of the large financial institutions here locally, Zion's Bank, formed a, uh, a venture fund and started backing, you know, interesting entrepreneurs in, in a variety of different categories. Um, you know, very geographically motivated type strategy, um, you know, riding on the backs of massive successes here like Novell and WordPerfect in Salt Lake. Um, and, and, you know, over the next 25 years, they've just been able to be a part of some really interesting, um, you know, entrepreneurial exploits, everything from, you know, an ancestry.com 20 plus years ago to, you know, a health catalyst more recently or collective medical technologies or recursion pharmaceuticals or uh, in structure, you know, list goes on. And um, I'm largely highlighting that we've, we've stayed partially true to, you know, our geographical focus, but we've you know, I'll also say we've expanded out past that and we invest outside of the, the Mountain West. We invest across the United States in a variety of different sectors. I joined about 10 years ago at Epic. And at the time, we were starting to make a transition from, again, that, you know, generalist geographic focus to, you know, really zeroing in on some sectors that we thought we were good at, right? So we took a lot of, of data from, you know, both our past investment experience and, uh, you know, from, the networks that we had built over our investments and, and kind of zeroed in on a few sectors that we were most excited about. Um, one of those is healthcare, which we'll talk a lot about today. And that's, that's the team I lead at Epic. Yep. Um, another one's um, future of work, you know, and that's, it's kind of broadly defined. It's everything from, you know, HR systems to, you know, ed tech type platforms. Uh, another one's fi- uh, financial technologies. And then the last one's IT security. I'll be quick to say like not being one of those categories doesn't mean you're not a fit for Epic. We're still generalists at our core. So about, you know, half, maybe a little over half, maybe 60% will fit into one of those buckets. So when it comes to health tech, just in particular, and obviously the audience here is really interested, I think, in in that space. Is this an area, a sector that, I mean, was there some big thesis? Did somebody sit there and write a write a white paper about how, you know, health tech was going to be this great <laughs> uh, opportunity and you really needed to be looking for those companies? Or did it kind of happen because you were looking for great opportunities and you started to see a lot of good health tech companies, I mean, sort of, or, or is it somewhere in between? Where did that yeah. come from? 
Yeah, you know, it was really in between. Um, the the genesis of it is is we had made a lot of healthcare investments um, in, in a couple of different sub subsectors of of the healthcare ecosystem, and um, they'd done quite well. Uh, so as we were looking at our at our historical portfolio and looking where executives had gone, you know, what investors we had worked with, you know, the the natural networks that we'd already built. Uh, there's just a lot of mass there already. So we sat down and said, you know, well, what's here? Is there something to do here in the future? And and can we have a unique advantage in this ecosystem? And um, you know, it's hard to believe this with 2020 and 2021 as your backdrop, but healthcare investing was not like a really sexy place to be placing money six or seven years ago. Right. Um, there are a couple of like niche players. A lot of, of health systems had started to spin up their CBCs. Um, and, and the bulls bracket funds all had like, you know, some, some investments in the space, but you could kind of count on like one hand, the, maybe two hands, right. The number of relevant VC firms that were healthcare specialists. Um, and you know, so it was a weird time for us to be stepping in and, and what we saw as unique opportunity was first exactly that, right? Like a lot less people really focusing on the space, but second, um, a really unique ecosystem in, in Utah. So when you look at a company that comes to you or a founder that comes to you uh, one way or the other, they come to you with a product that already exists, right? Um, what are the things that you're looking at? I mean, are you doing demos of their product? Are you looking, you know, how are you determining whether they're sort of onto something in terms of product market fit, in terms of quality, in terms, you know, all that stuff? Like, well, what's your process? How do you think yeah, about you know, it? it? Again, it's very stage dependent, right? So, so product market, like, like product diligence for us at the earliest, earliest stages, really isn't product diligence, it's more founder diligence, right? It's, yeah. mm -hmm. it's, do they have the correct perspective here? Um, that's, that's going to provide them the opportunity to build a product. That's not going to be one system dependent or one payer dependent or one large employer dependent or whatever, but it's actually going to you know span multiple. It's, it's something that you actually scale to multiple, right. multiple partners. Um, build a venture style outcome out of, right? So like that, at the early stages, we're really trying to focus in on like, do they have the right mindset here? Um, and as the thing scales up and you get your first partner, um, a product may be extremely bespoke for that specific institution. And product diligence for us is great. You've spent all this time with a beta client or a co-development, you know, right. standard firm there, like co-development partner here, right? Um, did you build, you know, like, great, you're the mindset for that, but did you actually build the product that is then going to be replicable in a different system, right? And if not, can you make some twe tweaks that will enable the product to be replicable? You know, is it is this just a, you know, maybe CHR dependent? Is this just a certain product? Is it just an Epic product? Are you gonna have issues between transferring between the two? Um, you know, can you sell in a fee-for-service market or is this more value-based care model? You know, what what's the actual market opportunity that you've built here? And that's gonna be relevant with, you know, a few co-development partners. Once you get past that number and you get to the five and the 10, you know, customers, right. Or maybe yeah. 15 and, and you're in the single, like, you know, mid-ish single digit revenue, low to mid-ish single digit millions of revenue. Um, there, there's like, your product is your product, right. You know, there's, there's like real data points that we can pull. There's less you can tweak. I mean, you can tweak, right. But there's less you can really tweak right. on the strategy there. Right. Um, so it's advanced to a point where we can really spend time with those customers and understand how they use it, what their workflow is. We can look for clusters. Um, we can see how broad it, you know, we can start to think through what a sales cycle might look but, you know, behind it. And, um, it, you know, it advances as the company grows. So again, I, you know, it's a very long winded, winded answer of saying just like, it really depends on the stage and we adjust our diligence to, to fit the maturity of the company at, you know, that specific time. 
but it does sound like that idea that, you know, the thing has to be scalable, right? Um, you know, not just from a technology standpoint, right? But from a sales standpoint, you know, you, you know for, for a, if you want a high growth company that, you know, worthy of venture investment, like they, they can't have one or two customers probably, right? No, it's, it's a really interesting conundrum, right? Because you can get to a position where you've got, you might have a million or two million. Yeah, decent revenue, revenue, right? You might even be profitable, right? right? Yeah. Oh, you, you might, you might, and you've got like, you might have a five-year contract with a system, right? And, and you look at that and you're like, this is great. And there are, you know, several thousand of these things in the U.S. There are 5,000 hospitals or whatever there are, right, in the U.S. So, you know, extrapolate that out and we're worth whatever in the future, right? And then you step back and you really look at it and you're like, well, yeah, but that's like, you built that just for Intermountain and there are all these nuances to how Intermountain works and it right. makes that extremely difficult to replicate elsewhere without giving anything away from a specific founder. But, you know, we're sitting in our pitch meetings on our side of things. And uh, I remember a pitch from a, a guy who was talking about um, some type of software solution he had built to help optimize the way a certain type of surgery worked within a health system. And he had all these big numbers about how that extrapolated out because there are this many of this type of surgeon, you know, all throughout the United States and, you know, this and that and whatever. Uh, and as we did a little bit of diligence, because it seemed great at first, we did a little bit of diligence, we realized that he, you know, he essentially had the opportunity because he knew the guy who like worked there and you know that's why they were willing to you know go on the journey with him to have him build this thing and that you know nobody else is really going to be interested and so um i just remember that being a great learning experience or uh you know validation of our process just thinking <laughs> like all right so cool you've got traction you've got some revenue you've got a co-development partner um why don't we talk to five more of these prospective uh <laughs> clients and see if this is a thing that they'd be interested in, right? Um, Chris Rock used to do this, uh, this this bit where he'd talk about how when you go on a date with somebody, right, uh, you know, your first date or your second date, you're not really meeting them, right? You're meeting their representative, right, is what he, you know, it's like, and so like they, they act like everything is good and, you know, uh, they're showing you the absolute best of themselves. How important is it to you that an entrepreneur has a really clear uh, idea of what the market looks like versus, you know, you being able to figure out what the market really is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's tandem for us. Right. Uh, and, and first thing I'll say is like, I am the ultimate victim of, of that kind of, uh, you know, interaction. I, I leave every pitch. I, I mean, you can pitch me on like a new, like artificial yeah. sweet. And you're like pumped about it. Right. Cause you feel their energy. Yeah. Me too. I, all the time. I mean, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. And then I have to think about it like a day later. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> so, so I'll say the most important thing for me is touch points with the entrepreneur. Um, and it, it's a, it seems like an obvious answer, right? But um, we're all managing so much deal flow that like you have to be really deliberate about spending a lot of time with them. Um, you know, managing like the diligence you do, right? On the market, on the opportunity, you know, you know, backhand reference checks, whatever, right? Backdoor reference checks, whatever. Um, with actual time with the entrepreneur. Um, and it's like, they're, they're, there's a balance, there are data points you need to, to pull together from both sides. Um, and you don't want to get trapped in the, um, on the side of, um, you know, doing too much of your own diligence. I mean, you can't do too much, but like only doing your own diligence and not spending enough time with them to get their perspectives on things. Yeah. Cause you might get like super turned off by the opportunity when you should be excited about, it, or you might get super excited without understanding they're not actually going to apply their, you know, apply their business in the way that you think they should with this, you know, so it's like, there's a combination, right? And for me, it's best mitigated by spending a ton of time with the entrepreneur. And as you get information, as you get data points, 
validating that with them, right? You know, following up in conversations, asking their opinion of the research that you pulled, um, how they think about it, how, how they might navigate specific situations. Try not to leave the witness where you think they should do something, you know. Um, it's, it's time with, with the entrepreneur. And, and if there's anything that's been consistent for us in determining whether or not we should, should have made an investment, it's how much time do we spend with that specific person? There's balance, right? I mean, especially in this day and age where there's so much, so many dollars going after, you know, a relatively few number of really interesting entrepreneurs. Um, so our, our timeline, like the amount of time we have to really get to a decision is a lot smaller than, than would be ideal. Yeah. You really have to you know, pound that into a you know finite couple of weeks in some, or maybe a week in some cases, right? But time with yeah. entrepreneur. Sometimes you have the first meeting and you're very, very impressed and, and you know, everything seems great. And I always like to have at least one, you know, a couple more follow me, even if it was small dollar investments, because sometimes you realize that you mm-hmm. come to really believe in uh, the entrepreneur more, the more you are around them, you like the way they respond to to questions. You like the way that they incorporate things that they're learning as they go forward. Right. Um, and that's really powerful. And sometimes I find that, <laughs> that I am less impressed as I <laughs> meet with them again and again, right. It's like, Oh man, every time this seems to get more difficult. Um, as an entrepreneur though, you know, if you're coaching, if you were coaching, uh, an entrepreneur, somebody who's trying to, uh, you know, go through the fundraising, uh, you know, process, you know, how should an entrepreneur think about that? Right. You know, should, should they be really proactively, you know, do you like it when they really proactively, uh, follow up with you and they're really, you know, pushing that conversation forward? I mean, what's your, what's your preference? I know mm-hmm. it's different for different people, but. VCs do a very bad job of hurting feelings. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, um, you know, there's, there's enough dependent on market timing, uh, as to whether or not a business is going to be successful that, um, at least I try to balance, you know, keeping a healthy relationship, you know, not, not offending people. Right. Um, with being respectful of people's time. Right. Yeah. Um, so on the one hand, I'd say, and, and I'll get to what I mean on that, you know, in a second, but on the one hand, I'd say like, I do really appreciate what a founder is very proactive about following up with me. Um, on the other hand, so in, so in many cases, really, if I'm not being proactive about following up with them, it means I, I have other things on my plate that are, are um, you know, at, the, at this moment of time and for me specifically, a little bit more interesting. Um, and, and I think one thing I can certainly do better and, and probably is, is true for some of my colleagues, probably not all of them, but some of them is, is just being really honest about, um, you know, what we really like and don't like and, and honest about timelines and, you know, whether it's realistic that we're going to invest, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of that is just oversight, right? We're managing so much deal flow, managing so many different personalities. that A lot of things just kind of fall through the cracks. Um, but, you know, there's a piece of it that's like, you're building your business. You're super excited about it. I don't want to be a wet blanket, right? <laughs> right? Like, you know, keep you, you, you do you, keep doing it. Here's some advice, but I don't want to, you know, just slam the door in your face kind of thing. Sometimes it's just not a good fit for us. And that is what it is, right? And so you say, look, you know, I, you know, for one reason or another, you know, I'll give somebody five minutes of my explanation as to why, from my perspective. Um, and, you know, I usually tell them I hope that they're wildly successful and that, you know, this is a huge mistake and, you know, I hope that they do well. Sometimes yeah. I think it becomes harder for me, at least when I really like the founder, but I don't like their idea or I don't believe in sort of the projection of where they think they can get to um, in terms of how that, trend, you know, or, or I, you know, 
there's some other issue uh, around that where it's like, well, you know, I don't want to, I'm not telling you to go away forever. You know, I'd love to stay in touch with you. And, you know, because if it's not this one, I think your next company might be the one because you seem great. Right. Um, And those ones, I think, sort of become more difficult because you want to, you know, sort of not lead them on, but, you know, maybe keep them, uh, keep them around. Right. It's never personal. Right. Like we're, we're just like, we want everybody to be successful and, and above all else, like we recognize that we are wrong all the time. Right. Like we see thousands of deals per year. I personally spend time on, on well over a hundred per year. Um, I spend time is, you know, varying levels of time. Right. But I personally spend time on a bunch of these every year and I'm wrong all the time. Now, hopefully I'm right enough that, that it makes sense. You know, historically we've been right enough that it makes sense for our investors. Right. Um, but you know, I, I love talking about like an anti-portfolio, right? There are plenty of those businesses where um, we just didn't get there in time or, you know, weren't, didn't have conviction over certain things. And the founder totally proved us wrong. It happens all the time. Right. Um, and, and we don't harbor any, you know, no, I love that. You know, I'm cheering for people, right? I mean, you got to cheer for people. It's good. You know, good for them. And there's like, there's nothing better than that happening. And then us being able to work with them on their next venture. Right. Because yep. we preserve that. Like that's what we're hoping for is that we build a relationship such that you leave our interaction, an interaction with us. And, you know, you're still psyched on who we are. You know, we're still you, you can still call us. Right. We'll still be helpful, even if we don't invest, because like you said, like, hopefully we can work together on the next one. So one thing that I've sort of seen and, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen the same thing, um, but I see a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly at the early stages, not actually asking for enough money. Uh, which sort of gets to what you had just said previously, right? You know, the sales cycles uh, in some of these, or in just the sales cycle, forget about actually implementing and, you know, how your actual contract works and when you get to revenue, just the sales cycle is 18 months, 24 months sometimes, um, uh, you know, maybe longer. Uh, you know, they might have a, a previous uh, software solution or platform or something that you want them to replace. And they might have three years or something remaining on their on their contract, right? They could sit down with you and say, yeah, this is better. I like it. You know, we want this, uh, you know, come back to me in, you know, 36 months when our existing contract is up or, you know, in a year when we're starting to think about when that contract might be up. Um, and then I see companies asking for, you know, you know, 2 million bucks or something that's going to last them for, you know, you know, 12 months or something, six months worth of financing or something like that. Right. Um, so, I mean, do you see that? I mean, uh, you know, companies not asking for enough money, um, uh, particularly at the early stage being an issue. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I'm going to expand it a little bit if that's okay. Um, yeah, please. In a lot of cases, entrepreneurs um, or, or the, the venture flywheel, let's say, has has put a lot of entrepreneurs into the position of thinking that um, raising money is the best route um, and is, you know, a really important positive um, you know, positive indicator for your success mm. as a company, right? It's like a big thing to be really excited about. And, and for us, obviously we, we, right, we it's want validating. It, right? Right. Like, yeah. it's, we want you to think it's super validating that we're coming into the, the, the business, but in reality, what you're doing is you're taking out a mortgage, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you bring on a partner who has a very set timeline, who, um, you know, has to return capital in a set number of years, um, can deploy some, you know, can, can continue to follow on for a certain extent in your business, but it's going to have to market you to new investors if you need capital. Right. Um, you, you know, you just, you're, you're putting yourself into a, into a different lifestyle. Mm. Um, and, and, 
you know, I think the, the ecosystem, you know, by and large is, is set up that way. Right. And, and obviously like VCs exist because of it, but, uh, but, but I think oftentimes entrepreneurs should just step back and, and ask themselves the simple question, like, should I raise that much? Right. And so I'm do I need back. money? <laughs> How much do, do I, I actually money? need? Right. Totally. Totally. Right. Um, and one of my favorite examples of this uh, being done well was collective medical. Um, you know, I had lunch with, with, uh, the CEO at the time, um, you know, probably, I don't know, a couple times a year for three years, right. Mm-hmm. Essentially saying hey, we've been friends for years, but you know, formal lunches all the time, essentially saying like, Hey, when you're ready, we want to invest in you. And, and he's very explicit. Like we will raise capital deliberately, um, to where we can prove the ROI for ourselves for taking on that, that dilution, right. Um, with the right partners, um, you know, to do the right things at the right time. Right. Um, so this is an, an entrepreneur that could have had, you know, obviously money from us, but from a variety of different other firms at any given point over that entire, you know, three year span and did not raise until they had, you know, after doing, you know, after going through a specific cycle multiple times over multiple years and said, yes, now it's time to raise for these specific reasons. Here's how we're going to spend the money. Here's why we're comfortable taking on the dilution. And here are the partners we want to raise from. And this is a fabulous approach. And as a result, you know, these are people that preserved, uh, the employees of this business preserved much of their ownership in the company all the way through the end, right? Because they were deliberate about their capital strategy. And the last thing you want to see in, a, in an ecosystem is where um, so much capital is raised at such dilutive prices um, that you get to the end of an outcome and, and, and the founding team doesn't own enough, right? Doesn't own significant amounts of the business. Um, so, so first off, I'm a strong advocate of founders being extremely deliberate about why, you know, when and why they, they raise money. Second off, um, if they are raising money, I completely agree with you that if you're going to hop into that flywheel and you're going to start spending heavy on growth, you know, going into the red pretty substantially to build out your product team to, you know, sell the, the product, uh, you know, to, you know, add in different executives, whatnot, upskill this business, you know, grow it to a level where we can raise capital in the future. Like give yourself a buffer. Yeah. Um, Have enough to get to that milestone and then a little bit too. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And that's less like that, that to me is less a, um, well, it gets back to that budgeting thing, you know, that, that like proving out your ROI, like, you know, the ultimate question for me is, does this company have, a real handle on their cash burn, right? Um, they have a real handle on how they're going to deploy that capital, when they're going to run out of it in a variety of different scenarios, when we need to start fundraising again, um, you know, and, and, and that to me is the most important thing. Like, can you comfortably say that we're raising this money, it's going to get us to this milestone plus three to six months of real buffer, probably in this environment, probably six months of real buffer so that we can be in a position to, you know, one, raise more money, two, um, run the business profitably, or three, uh, sell the company, right? Yep. Um, anyway, so the buffer is really nice. But again, being deliberate about the capital raise is the most important thing to me. You, you touched on valuation a second ago. Do you think, uh, you know, with all the new investors, I mean, money's flooding in. You guys have been investing in health tech for a long mm-hmm. time. You know, a lot of the funds are starting to deploy a lot of money in this space. Um, you know, we've had records, I think for the last three years, maybe more in a row, uh, you know, probably more than that, uh, in terms of investment. What do you think about valuations? Are valuations out of control? 
uh, you know, valuations have been out of control for 10 years and, and they keep getting more, more and more. So, right. Um, but no, I mean, it, look, realistically, um, our valuations are eventually driven by outcomes data, right? So by public markets, by, you know, acquisitions, by whatnot, right? Like growth guys, um, guys and gals need to be able to, you know, extrapolate out a certain type of return. And we're just building up into that ecosystem, right? Um, so when you look at the last month and a half of the public markets, um, like to me, that is the canary in the coal mine where things will eventually start to come down mm-hmm. on a, you know, on a pre-money basis for us. Um, it's still high and it's not, it's never an immediate change, right? It, it takes time for people to realize like the world is different. Um, you know, the world is at least maybe a little different, right? Um, but you're starting to see some pretty wild discrepancies between public market valuations and private market valuations of similar companies at similar stages. Um, you know, very, very, uh, very wide, uh, you know, very wide ranges. Um, and that's going to trickle down to us. Um, for us at Epic, um, you know, we're very conscious about our entry valuation. Some people aren't, but we're very conscious about it. Um, we try to be quite price disciplined. Uh, again, at the end of the day, we're, we're looking to work with the best entrepreneurs and we're willing to pay up for that, right? Where it makes sense. Um, but at the same time, we're, it's not lost on us that if we're coming in at too high of a valuation and, you know, exit opportunities are decreasing, it, it, it puts a strain on our model. You know, one thing I would definitely say is I think these kind of um, market conditions offer really great opportunities for entrepreneurship as market caps and public companies decrease and it's harder for them to raise debt or more equity and they have to make some layoffs. And, you know, you'll see that in some private large growth companies as well. Um, some people will be spit out into the economy that otherwise would not be innovating. They're, they're in cush jobs. They're doing some pretty interesting stuff. They've got, you know, great safety nets. Like it, life is just good enough that they're not leaving to start their own business. Um, but some of these people will be pushed out and will be forced into a situation where they're either, they'll either get a new, you know, new corporate type job or they'll do their own thing. Right. Or they'll start a really, you know, they'll start with a really young business and be a much more, you know, much more involved in that phase of growth. And that to me is just like, I, I, I'm really excited for that kind of stuff. Some of the best businesses are built in those times. Um, you know, and I think, I think we're probably, there's obviously some bad stuff coming around, but I think we're, we're probably coming into one of those, those, um, you got to find the silver lining, I suppose. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, nobody likes to see uh, layoffs and stuff like that, but <clears throat> I agree. I mean, even personally, you know, I've been in a situation where I was with a startup that didn't make it and uh, you know, that happens, right. You, you spin back out and you do something else. And the next thing is much more successful. That, that's a good thing. That's uh that's the process working. I think uh, often. So I, uh, mm-hmm. I agree with that big time. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been really awesome to hear sort of your stories and uh, you sharing some of this information with us and your perspective. Um, if, if some of the folks want to get in touch with you or reach out to you, how, how could they do that? How can they contact you? Yeah, you know, absolutely. For, first off, Ian, thank you. This is great. Uh, Ian and Mark, really appreciate you guys setting this up. Always happy to be here. Um, you know, for us, honestly, if you want to just reach out directly, grab me on LinkedIn or, or my email is simple. It's just jack at epicbc.com. I will say if you're pitching, um, come through one of my founders, right? You, you know, or, or advisors, LPs, whatever, um, you know, find somebody and get an introduction. A warm intro always makes it a better conversation and uh, starts things out great. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Cheers.
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you like the show, please give us a rating on Apple or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. We would really appreciate it. You can also connect with us on LinkedIn, YouTube, or on our website, productandhealthtech.com. If you have ideas or suggestions on what you'd like to hear on a future episode, or if you'd like to be a guest, please shoot us an email, info at productandhealthtech.com. Thanks. Thanks.